This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt Uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I, as a CPA, will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. My story, 37 years of frontline experience with government-run healthcare. When I graduated from college, I was recruited by Arthur Anderson and Company in uh, the Chicago office. Arthur Anderson Company being the one of the eight largest accounting firms in the world, and according to the ratings, number one in reputation and uh, reliability. My accounting professor, Myron Sorden, recommended me to them after I was awarded the Wall Street Journal Annual Award to the Outstanding Bachelors of Science and Business Graduate. Little did I know that this was a choice of my lifetime to pursue a career, not just a job, and enable me and my new family to move to the city of Chicago and pursue this opportunity with the number one public accounting firm in the world. I went to the firm's 
boot camp, not knowing what that meant in terms of what I didn't know versus what I was expected to do in a short period of time. I didn't really know how, nor was I prepared to take the CPA exam since I was a liberal arts graduate, not an accounting major from the University of Illinois. After surviving the four weeks of hell, I was prepared to bring my wife, Sherry and Christy, our two-year-old daughter, to the city of 7 million from our hometown of 5,000. My first assignment, after sitting in the firm's library for only, only a week, I was assigned to an audit and spent the next month running an adding machine, reconciling the bank accounts for a bowling supply company. While there, I was called in and told I was being transferred to the small business division immediately. I couldn't have been happier and began my healthcare consulting career the next week. I was assigned to the Blue Cross Blue Shield account. From day one, August 1st, 1961, I was a healthcare consultant in training for which I had been recruited, a career, for path, a career path that would last for 50 years. I was with AA and Co. for eight years, took the CPA exam, passed it the first time, and became a so-called Medicare expert. When Medicare was passed in June 1964 and AA and Co. was to roll out Medicare to hospitals and skilled nursing homes as uh, for our client, Blue Cross of America, at that time I was doing hospital cost report audits for Blue Cross and inherited the assignment to set up Medicare cost reporting procedures in hospitals. From there, I took a, a job offer from another CPA public accounting firm that had 26 Catholic hospital clients, and I was their Medicare cost report expert. I was made a partner and then was recruited by another CPA public accounting firm to set up their healthcare division. My next move was to start my own public accounting firm, J.L. Rhodes and Company, and a consulting firm managed better operations, specializing in nursing home systems and operations. This led to, <clears throat> to starting a software development company for cost accounting and billing for nursing homes. I was basically too soon with my vision of what the nursing homes needed to be, to be competitive with hospitals and set up roads reimbursement systems to capture Medicare money for skilled nursing facilities. When one of my clients needed an on-site administrator, I passed the nursing home administrator exam and became a licensed nursing home administrator. I became a turnaround troubleshooter, fixing troubled decertified nursing homes. And uh, until that time when my wife, son and I purchased three facilities, all troubled and in need of computer systems and management and a reform management philosophy and procedures. After losing a battle to change the regulatory nightmare, we, we sold our three uh, nursing homes and now are authoring our experience and solutions into books for sale and my podcast. I am told by some of my contemporaries that it is only a matter of time when the need will catch up with our solutions. Now my readers and listeners will have to judge and help us implement them. This is all chronic, chronicled at www.jerryrhodesauthor.com. This is episode number 19, America's Aging Population and Reactive Healthcare. The boomers are coming into the red zone. 
This is an expose of the government's dysfunctional healthcare programs. It's about the failure of government-run healthcare, the VA debacle, and the underfunding of Medicare and Medicaid that's destroying the very fabric of America's healthcare. This is being exacerbated by the baby boomers who are retiring at an un unrelenting speed of 10,000 per day and applying for Medicare at 7,000 per week into a healthcare system that cannot handle the 15 million currently needing long-term care health services. This is exacerbated by the providers being paid for input, not output. The payment method is based on physician encounters, hospital diagnosis codes, prescription drugs, therapy procedure codes, and nursing home admission assessments. They all are paid for a picture of the illness, not the actual episode outcome. Thus, no accountability for costs from the physician office to the hospital, to the nursing home, to the home care, to the therapy services and pharmacy costs. The solution is self-health funding defined as each individual accepting responsibility for their own decisions that affect their personal healthcare costs. Shift, self-health funding trust, insurance trust, through withholding from employees' salaries and allowing them to spend the funds on preventive health measures and preservation of their own future healthcare needs. Reduces the expenditure for the greater good by 40%, improves quality of, and outcomes 100%. A true free market enterprise consumer-driven system of delivery, quality, and accountability. Let's be honest with ourselves. We human beings are the underlying problem in funding healthcare due to our lifestyles. So we have funding and cost of healthcare due to our lifestyles. So we have to be the route to solving the problem, which is poor aging lifestyles. Currently up to 46% of the 3.5 trillion uh, healthcare costs are spent um, on 77,000 different chronic illnesses in the last five years of people's lives. This doesn't meet the health needs of the rest of the, Amer of the Americans. It's reactive, not preventive, and it's infrastructure. There is 400 to 600 billion in waste in the current delivery system due to the lack of accountability. To grow the economy, create jobs, and encourage expansion of quality health services, the paradigm has to be shifted. Currently, America is the largest health service provider in the world with the highest per capita cost and is rated 38th in quality. Not only does the system need to be shifted, the waste must be eliminated and savings better spent on improving quality, incentivizing wellness and prevention of illness and preservation of, of uh, our health. This new health service industry can cut costs by changing lifestyles and improving America's self-health. Continuing. 
I'm still quoting from my book, America in the Red Zone. The red zone meaning that Americans and America are in the last 20% of their opportunity to change the paradigm, shift the paradigm for self-health um, investment funding trust, uh, which allows each American to manage their own health care and their own lifestyle. I quote, America's aging and health, is it a science or an art form? Studies on aging, on the aging process and the poor health care picture are predicting a paradigm shift away from treatment to prevention and health preservation. Some studies show an increase in longevity and others that predict obesity and disease will cause the life expectancy to start a sharp decline. There is a diabolical struggle between science and socialized healthcare, creating a red zone of need in pursuit of proposed self-health and fitness solutions that require that an entire country change its personal living behaviors and habits. Predominantly, such dynamic movements and mores and habits take decades. Do we have that kind of time with the boomers coming at us at 7,000 per day, wanting their Medicare for all coverage, and at 10,000 a day, wanting their pension uh, payments in the form of Social Security. Politically, who is on the right and the left on, on these problems? Is Obamacare a solution or an added burden? In the center, what I see as the telltale signs of America is not taking responsibility for their health and their ongoing aging costs. What is the responsibility and what are the tangible and intangible costs of aging? Responsibilities and current status. Number one, Americans need a healthier lifestyle. First of all, fitness. 66% of Americans do not exercise even 10 minutes per day. Under nutrition, 45% of Americans do not read the labels on the containers, nor do they follow them. C, Emotional instability. 25% of Americans are some form, are, use some form of mind-altering chemicals or drugs. Uh, next, st stressors. 90% of Americans do not use exercise, relaxation, or meditation in their daily activities. Sleep dep deprivation. Average sleep is six hours per day, if that. Number two, Americans, Americans need a healthier financial picture. Financial underfunding for the aging costs. Most Americans have pension benefits, but no long-term care insurance. It is far too ex expensive for the benefits, so little gain. They have no financial plan for nursing home care. They're, they're putting it off just like everything else that the government funds. Problems. Americans in general do not have healthy lifestyles. What is that? Obesity. That's the disease of the mind and chronic diseases. Bad habits head the list. First, you have inactivity and lack of concern for personal health responsibilities. Then you have poor diet choices and no plan for improving the diet, their diet. Then you have 
prescription drug side effects without knowing what they are or what causes them or, or how to fix them. They have stressful relationships resulting in more divorces and unhappiness. Well over 50% of marriages result in divorce. Second and third divorce, divorces result in even higher number of incidences. There's chronic, chronological age is less than biological age. And widening, what does that mean? Well, chronological age is, is termed the real age, which is, no, I'm sorry, chronological age is the age on the calendar. The biological age is the age that you would you score when you start testing lifestyle and habits. It's called the real age formula. Externalize the, we, we all externalize responsibility for wellness and do not internalize the consequences because someone else is paying the bill. It's that economic re reality is that in theory, with, with, it's the way we would like things to be, but in reality, it's the economics that create the ins incentives. Acquired infections and chemical use just destroy the immune system, such as what's underlying the corona, current coronavirus debacle. Smoking destroys all body systems over time. So for some uh, more details on the problems, number one, most Amer Americans ride everywhere. Uh, they are generally not fit. Little if no walking is required in our society. Studies show that 15 to 20 minutes per day of brisk walking will prevent many maladies and improve the longevity by 20%. Yet no one walks anymore unless they have to. Number two problem. Most Americans eat whatever is put in front of them without re regard to nutritional content or side effects in their on their health. Obesity is growing, is a growing health problem due to the American lifestyle. It is rippling to our next generation. What we find, have found that, uh, that the women that are having children typically are gaining 20, 40, 50, 60 pounds because they're being told they have to, to eat enough to feed the, the, the baby. But in fact, the baby is only going to weigh five to seven pounds. And even with the placenta, it's not going to be much more than 10 pounds. So why are they gaining that much weight? Because they are told they don't have to worry about their weight until delivery of the baby. Fortunately, in our, my wife and I's case, she, this was in the, in the 1960s. She was told by her gynecologist not to gain weight as much as possible. And so over a period of nine months, she delivered four healthy babies, gained 17 pounds each time, and lost about 17 pounds when she delivered the baby. Number three problem, most Americans do not get enough sleep and use medication for rest and re do not get enough sleep and use medication for rest and relaxation, sleeping pills. Uh, 
Number four problem, most Americans have 40 to 50 hours per week jobs and other time demanding activities resulting in stressful 14 to 16 hour days. <clears throat> Number five, 50% of Americans are getting divorced. Well, we've discussed that enough before. Uh, number six problem, most Americans do not prepare for the aging process. Getting old is for someone else, and I will worry about it if it happens to me someday. Studies show there are more young people with diabetes, heart condition, plugged arteries, shortness of breath, osteoporosis, joint diseases, emotional instability, social maladies, etc. These are among the 77 thousand diagnosis codes that the government has created to give the <clears throat> provider something to bill for. It's all based on input, not on output. As these people exacerbate the diseases with weight problems, the hospital and nursing home homes are not far away. Problem number seven, most Americans have someone else paying for their insurance and are not responsible for funding the services to treat their poor lifestyles. This builds an overutilization of a cost-based healthcare system. Number eight problem. The government is administering 80% of the healthcare benefits with only 60% of the resources needed to pay for an aging and unhealthy population. This is catching up with state Medicaid programs and now want and, and that now want to ration healthcare. Medicare is using enforcement and fear tactics to keep their costs down by denying claims or having the insurance companies deny the claims. Problem number nine, acquired infections and chemical use. We continue to put foreign substances in our bodies and wonder why have, we have respiratory conditions, sinus infections, headaches, uh, bowel impaction, bladder leaking, Aberrant blood sugars, flu-like symptoms such as the coronavirus, which is the same virus that's in the common cold and in um, the flu and other uh, two other um, accepted uh, chronic diseases. And there's stomach and intestinal complications, cancer, diabetes, heart conditions, collapsed lungs, prostate infections, etc. Everything is based upon the pro, the uh, diagnosis, not the underlying problems that it takes to, to treat and fix. Problem 10, smoking is killing 5 million people a year, and we ignore the fact that the smokers die on average 20 years sooner than non-smokers. It costs us about $5 billion a year in healthcare services for the smokers who also generate the above eight problems with their externalized self-inflicted problems. And now we've legalized marijuana, both recreationally and med uh, medical. So we're promoting, now promoting smoking as being a solution to the top eight uh, problems that I've just stated. Solutions, lifestyles come more easily with a system to follow, aging needs to be a treat is must, needs to be a treated as a science rather than an art form. If I can read that way, way, it should be: aging needs to be treated as a science rather than an art form. There needs to be a personal commitment to health as a lifestyle. 
There needs to be professional help to set up programs for fitness, nutrition, relaxation, activities, vacation, sleep patterns, family counseling for troubles in the marriage, etc. There needs to be standardized benefits structured for the personal health care needs. There needs to be economic incentives for getting to the above three natural, three moral incentives to preserve health and pursue outcomes for unhealthy Americans. Some of these incentives would be tax incentives for investing in a healthy lifestyle, membership at a fitness center, attention to diet using nutritional counseling, acquisition of and use of fitness equipment, attention to physical health using a personal trainer, attention to relationships using a marriage counseling, system, use of sleep studies and therapeutic devices for rest and relaxation, manage weight loss and stop smoking programs using health coaches, use of screening for respiratory, urinary, bone, uh, arterial, uh, mental, and emotional problems. There needs to be less government intervention and more private sector um, services, such as Pre-tax withholding of long-term care insurance premiums for working Americans. Non-working and underinsured Americans funded through traditional Medicaid programs. Elderly, elderly, elderly Americans that have a need for hospitalization and crisis intervention would be funded through the traditional Medicare programs. Providers of health preservation services would be paid on an outcome basis using fitness plan templates and proof of interventions and goals reached. Providers of health services would also be paid on an outcome basis using care plan, templates, and proof of interventions and goals reached for physical problems, motor problems, emotional problems, and social problems. Uh, Life expectancy and health preservation services then become the mode of managing costs and benefits. They are the new enterprises. Capital investment and return from earnings should be based on outcomes, not everyone's incomes. Right now, the life expectancy is a turkey shoot and the costs are fraught with waste and corruption. The life expectancy has gone down over the last decade from 82 to 78. Men and women are now about the same. They used to be skewed to to, uh, shorter life expectancies for men and longer for women. That no longer exists since women now smoke. My story in the red zone. Born in a small town in Indianola, Iowa, I felt small, thought big, and lived in between. Liking sports because of feeling good about accomplishment and equal to or better than the others playing. School was a necessity and and fairly easy. My memories of Hawthorne Grade School are about the recesses and the girls, very little about studies or my future. Brought up in a lower, lower middle-class neighborhood by Depression parents did not inspire the bright lights of Des Moines and the other cities were not even on my mind map. Junior high school was a big step because I began to learn stimulating subjects. Geography opened up the whole world. Algebra opened up my mind to solving problems. 
science opened up my life to the underlying meaning of living. English allowed me to start writing. Government stimulated my first poem about the Russian premier, Georgi Palintikov, and his takeover of the Communist Politburo. Track made me realize the running sprints were not my strength, but distance was. Girls, on the other hand, were being forced on me by my friends because of my height. Was only five foot one in eighth grade and shyness. Since I was in love with my baseball glove, a Rawlings infield model, and looked like Mr. Peepers with my horn rim glasses, girls did not see me like I saw them. Then Sharon White came into focus in front of the junior high, high school early in 1954. Blonde, cute, very attractive figure in my eyes and distant. Not knowing about the laws of attraction, I only thought of the what ifs. What if she doesn't like me? What if she laughs when I say hello? What if I? What if her friend Rosie tells her about my being a shrimp? Well, will my best friend take her away from me before I have a chance to grow taller? To which she did. Fast forward to high school and the departure of Sharon White to Brooklyn, Iowa, where her father got a new job. No one to dream about. The girls, my friends, pushed me towards or too tall and, and too skinny, or too ugly, or too smart, or too stuck up. This will be continued in the next episode. Continuing with this uh, background on uh, my approach to healthcare. Graduation came in 1957 from high school with me wondering what to do to get out of Indianola, Iowa and feel good about my life. For some reason, Sharon and I had the same aspirations, but did not know it until we were brought together on Halloween night, 1956, when Nancy suggested the three of us go to the haunted house towards Pleasantville. As we approached the house, Sharon grabbed my hold of me. She actually took my hand and the rest is history. We started date, dating and have been together except for nine months when she was went to cosmetology school in Dubuque ever since. 60 years of marriage, four, four great children, 12 grandchildren, seven great grandchildren. Next came college and me feeling inadequate and not so smart. I graduated in the top third of the class, but nothing spectacular. The first semester passed, passed with me getting ordinary grades, about a C plus average, which with little hope of being uh, the dreams I had in sports. The second semester I took required a, took the required course that I had to see in the first semester, which was psychology. The professor was considered impossible for good grades and a C was the best he gave. But all of a sudden, I found a desire and interest in Plato, Aristotle, and their use of logic. Lo and behold, I got A's on the exams and an A for the semester. The only one and considered to be given out and considered to be a miracle. Somehow, this triggered my next three years in college to excel at my studies. Only I could control that, that and it worked. I ended up with a B plus 
3.5 average out of four for the four years and a 3.75 for my last two years. I was selected for the special recognition studies and in humanities and received the Wall Street Journal Award for the Outstanding Business Graduate in 1961. Headed to the big city of Chicago as a recruiter with Arthur Anderson Company, uh, like my accomplishments. Arthur Anderson and Co. was at that point was the best CPA firm in the world and also the largest. But fear still prevailed because I still lived my dreams in reverse, wanting to excel at sports as fulfillment of my desire to be the best at something, hating my inadequacies when it came to my job and knowing that there was something wrong with me when it came to auditing and, and bean counting. I felt that it was my lack of talent when, in effect, it was not logical to me to just sit and check out and correct other people's mistakes. Then I got a call from the personnel department that Arthur Anderson was transferred to the small business division in the Chicago office. Just as Sharon White and freshman psychology changed my life, so did this not so subtle change in my career path. I was now able to use some of my emerging creativity to do tax planning for my clients and advise them on economic economics of business, not just fixing the books. The computers came on the scene and I learned how to use the applications and automate those messy books so they were more accurate. We developed inventory systems, marketing plans, stock capitalization plans, corporate organization charts, team building, documentation systems, and behavior psychology for hiring and managing employees. This was a great education in entrepreneurship. I credit, credit this as the first move into the self-health uh, thinking for me and my family. Healthcare came into my life as a career focus when I was assigned to the Blue Cross of America account to audit hospitals in 1962 and to help roll out Medicare in 1967 and Medicaid in 1968. Now, 45 years later, these skills, actually it's more like 50 years later, that I developed at Arthur Anderson delivering me every every day, delivering me every day to the marketplace with hope for bringing self-health habits to an aging society. In 1968, I passed the CPA exam and left Arthur Anderson in, in, in Chicago. And in 1969, for, for in 1968, I passed the CPA exam and left Arthur Anderson for, in Chicago in 1969 for greener pastures with a small CPA firm. Then after four years of, of consulting for Catholic hospital chains, I moved to another CPA firm that wanted me as the partner in charge of their healthcare practice. Over the years in the red zone of healthcare, I worked for CPA firms in Springfield, uh, Peoria, Illinois, the, that were in, in it for the money. Started my own CPA firm in 1977, expanded the business into consulting, software development, and proposed public offering for capital, take my ideas to a higher level. The economy took a downturn during the Carter years when interest rates for my SBA loan had and bank line of credit went up to 23%, and I had to sell off the accounting firm. 
and consulting practice to save the software that we had developed. So we relocated into Chicago and the enterprise was restarted as an accounting firm specializing in nursing homes. During my four years in Springfield, Illinois, the capital of Illinois, I gained notoriety as an ex expert in Medicare and Medicaid regulations for nursing homes. And I, was to, I was the lead consultant for the trade associations and expert witness for legislative legislation protecting the owner's interest. When we returned to Chicago, many of my contacts in the, polit in the politics of nursing homes engaged me as a consultant to help them lobby and file their cost reports. My business again flourished, but my dreams did not. In the self-health software systems we developed during my years in Morton, Illinois with my accounting firm um, and, and finance with SBA and bank loans was saved for by my chapter 11 filing because of my Albatross software being programmed in an outdated language and utilizing many computers rather than the PCs destined us to miss the mark, even though the the design was and still is revolutionary. <clears throat> then my son Kip got involved in the business and slowly brought us into the PC world with new software. For the next 20 years, we traveled around the country installing different versions of this of the uh, caregiver system in 141 different nursing homes in 22 different states, enabling the operators to bring Medicare into their business as a way to restore patients and get them back home and to improve their revenues and profitability. But in our estimation, this effort did not bring the nursing homes into the self-health world, but took them to the green zone of prosperity. Money flowed, reputations glowed, but quality of patient care did not. The system that I had dreamed of was not performing the way it was designed. Get them in, get them better, and get them back home. Rather, it created a way for the businesses, usually run by real estate moguls, to fill the beds and make more profit for the owners who then would sell the business to a larger chain that would make even more money, even though the federal government used punitive methods to keep the, the reimbursement or dollars or revenue down uh, that our system and documentation forced them to pay for. Uh, neither, in my opinion, were contributing to restoring of health for the elderly and disabled, nor were they enabling them to, get, to go back home. So we decided to get out of that, that business and into operating nursing homes, utilizing our systems, knowledge, and dream of providing aging Americans, America's Americans, quality of life, not just a room, diaper, TV, and bad food. We are now setting up the self-health mentality in long-term care by using outcome-driven systems and procedures to reduce over-medication, improve function, physical function, and, and create hope for a return to the community. In 57% of the cases, we successfully discharged admissions back home. This is unheard of in the nursing home business. The 43% who must stay have must stay and to have and have a quality of life that revolves around the activities of daily living being managed by our by an active continuum of life system. 
we're extending lives and not just ending them in a, a depressing nursing home. I like to say we are managing life, not death. However, our pursuit has been fraught with bureaucracy, refusing to change to a positive and collaborative approach to compliance, and the result is retaliation that is on the verge of putting us out of business because they can. This would be the regulators at the state level called surveyors. There will be more on this later. Uh, This is the... the, uh, um, called the bad zone instead of the red zone.